our great God and Heavenly Father. We come to you again, a small group from our church, but we want to have fellowship together in your word. We pray that you would give us understanding, understanding perhaps beyond and above my words, and help us to receive your word into our hearts. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Well, this is the second of the series on the teaching of Jesus. And yesterday, you uh, remember that we said it's a matter of the heart. That was the big thing that Jesus was saying uh, to his disciples. Uh, he hasn't been giving a new manifesto, telling everyone how they must live their lives. As we heard on a thought for the day on Radio 4 earlier this month, it's not a, a manifesto. You don't become a Christian by doing your best in a life. It's not a, a recipe as for world peace. The Lord has been describing the character, the thinking, and the actions of his people, of Christians. These are the characteristics of a Christian and the kind of life that God's people should aim to follow. Next, I think, if we're thinking about the teaching of Jesus, and we've only got five days to do it in, I think we should think about how Jesus taught. And I want to start today by going to the very last verses of uh, the reading at the end of chapter 7. And we read, when Jesus finished these sayings, that is the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus taught with authority. Whose authority was it? It was his. And again, he's in striking contrast with the teachers of the day. In their teaching, they would refer to the tradition of the elders. They would refuse, refer to the view of one rabbi or another, but they would never say, I say to you. They were always referring to others. Jesus was exactly the opposite. You notice in chapter 5, which was uh, yesterday's reading, Six times he said in chapter 5, you've heard it said, it was said to you in the old time, but I say to you. He wasn't contradicting the Old Testament, but he was taking issue with the tradition of his day, the religious teaching of his day. And again, as we read the sermon, we see that allegiance to Jesus himself personally was very important. For instance, right at the end of the Beatitudes, he said, blessed, happy, or to be congratulated, are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely? On my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. What kind of person says these things? Certainly not the scribes. He distanced himself from what was the accepted religious understanding of what true commitment or orthodoxy was. 
He says, don't copy the pious behavior of the religious men you see. You can tell when they're fasting or giving or praying or whatever. It's all show. Their reward is that they're esteemed as religious by their community. You, he says to his disciples, you do these things secretly. And your father who sees in secret will bless you. Jesus distanced himself from the common materialistic attitude, both of Jews and of Gentiles, to money and possessions. His outlook was very different. You, he said to his disciples, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, it's no wonder that his readers would ask sometimes, who does this rabbi think he is? And there are two paragraphs at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that particularly again show his authority. The first is the penultimate one, Jesus the judge. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is seen as what Jesus calls the last day. That time when the kingdom of God that has been working in men's hearts will be consummated and finally established all things will be made new. Not only will there be a judgment day, but Jesus announces that he will be the judge. And he describes what it would be like for some. Some will protest that they did all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. Prophecy or teaching, perhaps healings and other remarkable things, they will say, we did this, or we did that in your name. Jesus, the judge, will reply that they have had no relationship with him. He doesn't know them. In the days of Paul, there were the seven sons of Siva in Ephesus that were using the name of Jesus. Years ago, I and two friends went to the home of a retired army officer who used to conduct healing services in his home in the name of Jesus. As far as we could see, there was no reference to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. As far as we could see, there was no church connection. I hope I'm not wronging him but he may be one of those that fall into this category. Perhaps we know of temporary believers that were impressive at the time, but only for a time. They had the language, they had ability, but the root of the matter was not in them. We have to say that people like this are not conscious or deliberate hypocrites, but they have been self-deceived. We can't stay with this. But the thing to note really is that Jesus says they will protest to him and he will be the judge. 
This is no ordinary authority. And the other paragraph is the last one, the story that we all know very well, how to build a house that survives the storms. Everyone then knew the difference between building on sand or on rock, and it needs no interpretation for our generation either. We are very familiar, especially with the 2007 floods. We saw pictures of houses falling down. Their foundation had been washed away. And everyone understands that life has its storms. The people of our world have various ways of meeting these storms with varied success. But there is one storm that many don't like to think about, and that's death. If they do, some believe or hope it's the end of them. It will be extinction and the end of all their troubles. Others think they'll weather the storm somehow. It won't be too bad. Some are frankly afraid of the unknown. Jesus is saying that it will be collapse and disaster for everyone in that last storm unless they build their lives on his words. What a claim. He doesn't say those who listen to him won't experience storms in life. Christians aren't immune. But we know that if we're building on his words, there will be no storm greater than we can bear. The Holy Spirit will use every storm for faith and to develop character. And everything will work for our ultimate good. But what about those who say they like the Sermon on the Mount, but not Christianity? Don't like Christian doctrine, don't like the religious bit, don't like the church. Well, we have to ask on whose authority are they accepting the bits they like out of the Sermon on the Mount? It has to be on their authority. It's what they consider to be true. But if they really recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus, they would accept all his words. They wouldn't pick and choose what appeals to them or suits them. For the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ is integral to the Sermon on the Mount. It's integral to his teaching right the way through. Jesus claims total authority, and a Christian submits to that. He is Lord. Thought for the day? Well, let us make sure that we are on the rock, that Jesus really is our Lord, that we are building on his words at all times, that we follow his way, not the ideas of the world all around us, which presses in upon us hard sometimes. Let's make sure that our faith is not second-hand, that we're not deceiving ourselves. We, we can do that by going along with the teaching that we're receiving, going along with what the rest of the church does, or maintaining a good profile. Let's come to our Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, and always bow completely
to his authority. That's what he claims. He is Lord 